Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health crisis and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. In a recent Sherm.org blog post, they shared that U.S. prisons and jails release nearly 700,000 men and women into society every year. They also noted that approximately 70 million people have a criminal record, one-third of working-age U.S. adults. When these individuals are released into society, They are then tasked with finding work so that they can support themselves, their families, and start to live a new life post-incarceration. Additionally, there are a number of people out there who have lost their way and fallen into behavior that is damaging to themselves, their families, and their community. How do these individuals and those looking to have a second chance find an employer who is willing to accept an individual as a candidate regardless of their past? Looking at today's job market struggles with a shortage of workers, is there benefit to employers to consider implementing second chance programs as a way to augment their hiring approach? How can giving back to these individuals help the organization, community, and the employee? With us today to share how implementing a second chance program has benefited their organization, its people, and the community is Workplace MVP, Drew Sewell, Chief Operations Officer for CKS Packaging. Welcome to the show, Drew. Thank you, Jamie. It's good to be here today. We're happy to have you. And so let's just start off with you telling me a little bit about yourself and your career journey, and and then we'll get into talking about CK Packaging in just a moment. Okay. So uh, CKS Packaging is my family business. My dad is uh, Charles King Sewell. And uh, King is his mother's maiden name, uh, but he founded the company in 1985. And uh, once upon a time, back in the early days, 1963, he started Sewell Plastics. His company made the first plastic milk jug in the Southeast United States. And then the first two liter Coke bottle in the world. And it kind of put us on the map and put us all across the country, 25 locations. He sold that and started over with CKS Packaging. Uh, He wasn't able to buy his name back. And so he was looking to get in in a small way, uh, just five days a week, one shift. But because so many people were loyal to us, uh, customers, and we were a good supplier, uh, that soon went out the window and we needed more and more people, but today we're a uh, 600 million in uh, sales and we have 3,000 employees in 27 locations across the United States. But he made a commitment when he, and I don't want to scare people away when they hear a religious commitment, but he made a faith-based adjustment and said, I'm going to tithe out of the profits of the company. And when he did, things just went crazy for us. You can't outgive God. So, uh, we've just exploded over the years. Wonderful. And you've grown to be global supplier and, you know, all of your locations and various different 
states across the U.S. So it's it's amazing to see that growth that you guys um, have built up. So now looking at the second chance program for your organization. So there's a different, there's a lot of different reasons why an employer decides to put a second chance program in place. Some, it, it is a method for just expanding their candidate pool. And for others, it's a way to give back to the community and help people. For CKS packaging, what was some of the driving factors in creating this second chance program? Well, we, our, our company is, our, our headquarters is about uh, 10 miles from Atlanta. And in 19... 19- 96 when the olympics came to atlanta the uh they tried to push prostitution and drugs and crime basically out of atlanta and they pushed it out 10 15 miles and so that's where we encountered it on the boulevard where we are a mile from our office was the number one hotel for drugs and prostitution in all the united states and uh i was led to do something about it because it was you know, I mean, here here we are, a big successful company, but the neighborhood was run down and scary. I mean, they they would uh, carjack you, steal things. You know, if you had a lawnmower that ran out of gas and you left it by the street to go get the gas can, the lawnmower was stolen before you could even blink an eye. It was just terrible. So we decided that we would go into the neighborhood and do a day of outreach, and we were doing. Free food, clothes, health care, haircuts. We painted the ladies' nails. We had moonwalk slides, popcorn, cotton candy, snow cone. All of that was just to draw the people in. And then we offered to uh, pray with them, and it changed hundreds of lives. But what I found out was when that day was over with, you, it, the crime came back. Everything was still still the same, even though 25 prostitutes left the street that first time we ever did it. And that was 15 years ago. So I went and I, I talked to the people that were there, were homeless, et cetera. If you will get off the streets and go into a drug, re, drug rehab or a, some kind of rehab, you know, for whatever lifestyle you're leading, after one year, I'll hire you to come to work for me. And I had a lot of takers and it, took a while but it got going off the ground and what i found out was the those that are incarcerated one of the ministry partners we support on a monthly basis from our ties is prison fellowship ministries prison fellowship has a pipeline to cks to help uh, supply us with good workers so these people have made a mistake in their lives and they paid for that mistake but they have that blemish that nobody wants to hire them. But in today's environment, it's so hard to find somebody to go to work for you. And you really have some very talented people that have made that mistake, paid for the mistake, and now they can't get a job. So we decided, you know what, let's give them a shot. And that was uh, about six years ago. And today, you know, you go through the numbers, just like hiring other people. But We've got 189 what we call second chance workers at CKS, and they have been with us, you know, two, three years, and they're moving up the ranks. It's uh, it's amazing. They have mechanical ability. When you make plastic bottles, you have a lot of uh, production equipment that needs to be worked on, needs to be kept up, needs to be, keep running so you can be profitable. And these guys and ladies are filling in the blanks for us. And, they are so grateful to have a second chance that they will never 
leave us. And we're a family business anyway. We treat our people. They're our greatest asset. We treat them like family. When I walk through the plant, I know it's not the thing to say or do, but I hug them. You know, I love them. Except for the grace of God, there go I. They would be me. I would be them. And I just have compassion for them. And it, and our whole company is a family oriented that way. Amazing. So <clears throat> looking at that program, now you said you've had it for about six years now. You know, right. how would you say, you know, obviously from an organizational perspective, that's kind of giving you a pipeline to some really able and willing workers, but how has it impacted the community and some of those individuals? How have they benefited from the program? Oh, it's, it's, it's totally changed their lives. I mean, if you if you don't have a job, what are you going to end up doing? If you come out of the prison system, you're going to go back on the street corner and hang out with your buddies. And the next thing you know, you're doing drugs again and you don't have money. So you have to support that habit. You steal, you break in, you rob, whatever you have to do. And uh, so by changing their lives, I mean, now they have homes, apartments, they have jobs, they have benefits. I mean, it's just a it's a total life changer for them. Wonderful. And, you know, when we talked earlier, you shared with me, you know, that you've had some success stories where somebody has come in on the second chance program and really risen into some leadership ranks and some roles. Can you share with um, our listeners some of the success stories that you've, you've experienced from this, where somebody's climbed your corporate ladder, basically? Right. So we, we have a, a couple of regional quality managers. We have shift supervisors at several plants that are second chancers. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's no different from any other pool of uh, applicants that would be coming to your company to fill out an application. They all have, you know, credentials that they bring. Some of them, a lot of them have college degrees. It's, you know, they just, Hey, they made bad choices, but they paid for it. And, you know, we, we give a second chance. I mean, I've probably had a hundred chances myself. So, you know, thank goodness. Yeah, wonderful. So obviously we've talked a little bit about the benefits, but were there any challenges that you experienced or have experienced in implementing a program like this? Yeah, the, you know, it's everybody that I meet. I mean, if I go out on the street into a, a crowd of uh, homeless, drug addicted, you know, prostitutes or whatever, first thing is, is, you know, what do you pay, all that kind of stuff. And it's, breaking the habits that they've got without going through something. So uh, it's kind of a forced rehab when they go, when they get locked up in the prison because, you know, they just can't get the drugs anymore or whatever their choice is. And so that's the, the hardest part is just getting them off of that. So by me saying, if you'll go into a rehab for a year, even if they don't go through the prison system, it's still a second chance for them. And, uh, you know, it's usually the programs or you pay it. Well, we're not going to pay for somebody to go through it. If they're willing to mm-hmm. apply themselves and go into one that doesn't cost anything, but the, the uh, rehab program uses their labor, their job that they go to every day after they've been cleaned up as uh, money to, to keep it rolling. So, you know, it's they have nothing to lose, and if they'll do it, it's great. If or or they come straight out of prison, and nobody's going to hire them. I mean, think about it. Have you committed a felony on everybody's uh, application? 
And if you have, if you lie, they're going to find out, you know, because you do a background check and you say, not that guy. He's not working for me or she's not. They're they're not even honest on their application. You know, what else are they going to lie about? So, you know, we just take that one right off and just say, look, we, we go to the local halfway houses, if you will. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, of organizations out there that that. That's what they do. They specialize and they bring in the uh, it's a transitional home out of the prison back to the, uh, in, you know, the, the the workforce environment. And they had to have a job before they can leave. And uh, so we're just that person. We'll hire them. Yeah. That's- again, it's just they're so loyal when they walk through a wall for you. They absolutely love us. That's amazing. And I imagine at that time, especially, you know, the ones that are coming straight out of prison in those halfway houses, you know, that may be their opportunity for reflecting on why, you know, that, that time where they don't want to go back, you know, they're committed to themselves to not go back and they're not being influenced by anything else in their environment that might bring them down, you know, the path that they were on before they went into incarceration. So that's got to be a really good opportunity in a time that you can capture their attention to working um, at CKS packaging and getting them on the kind of that right path to, to a little bit more of a successful life. Wonderful. Oh, it's so, a, they're very grateful. Trust me. And uh, they, they won't let you down. They don't want to go back. Yeah. I can imagine that that is, you know, they're coming off of the, you know, depending on how long they were incarcerated for, you know, it's got to be that great opportunity to just kind of, they can see an opportunity from them. Maybe they didn't have presented to them before. I can imagine there's some anxiety that they feel, you know, when they come out of prison, like trying to figure out how am I going to, you know, fulfill the obligations that I'm expected to do, whether they're on parole or if they're on, um, um, you know, uh, other, you know, kind of conditions that they need to adhere to as part of being released. Do you, you tend to see that where you kind of almost like are that breath of fresh air for them or that relief to that tension that they might be having? Yeah. Most, most people are just, they want somebody to validate them. They want to find somebody that believes in them. And if you, you know, I mean, every family, I mean, let's think about it. You've got somebody in your family. I've got somebody in my family that has gone the wrong way with drugs or some kind of crime that they committed. They were at the wrong place at the right time. And so they just need somebody to believe in them. And people have been telling them all their life that you're worthless. You're, you'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You don't have an education. You don't have a college degree. You'll never get ahead. And then they come see us and they find out that we're just real people. You know, like I said earlier, except for the grace of God, there go I. I mean, I, I'm a family member, I'm a COO, but, you know, very easily I could be the guy in jail. Back in the day before they had video cameras, you know, every time on everybody's phone, you know, didn't have the phones, number one, fortunately for me when I was a youngster, because uh, I was a hellion, I'll be honest with you. And uh, so that's probably why I relate to them. I mean, except for the grace of God, I could be a you know, an inmate myself for doing some crazy stuff. But anyway, it, it's neither here nor there, but you just have to believe in them and get them believing in themselves and change their life. Yeah, they're human. 
treating them like a human, giving them that opportunity. So how can other companies, you know, whose culture is a little bit more diffused than a closely held business, like a family business, like your own, how could they integrate a similar initiative like this into their company? Well, I would, I would say that they could go to the, uh, the halfway houses. There's, there's big pools. I mean, there's, there's places that, that have hundreds of just release formerly incarcerated uh, people that need to transition back into society. And they have a unique skill set. They could go to the, the, and it's, it is hard to get people to really believe that you want to do this. Number one, they're not used to that. So you have to go and sell yourself and your company, but at the same time, you can ask for a unique skill set. Maybe it's somebody that's got IT skills. You know, I was looking for mechanics, anybody that could work on their car to change their oil, change their own spark plugs. You don't do that anymore, but people that can, those are the kind of people, you know, do you change your tire if it's flat, you know, or do you call AAA, whatever. So we were looking for people that were mechanically inclined, but you can, any skill set you're looking for, you'll find them. I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing, but you can just say, look, filter out. You know, it's like going on the computer and filter out this skill set. That's all I want. And uh, or going on zip recruiter and saying, I want this person and they'll, they'll look it over for you and they'll, you know, and, and you can go and address the group of people that are inmates that are trying to get out and uh, you can tell them what you're looking for and, and basically sell yourself and your company. It doesn't matter if you're privately held like us or you're a public company. You just have to have the desire to do it. And I promise you, they'll be the best employees that you've ever had because they don't want to let you down because you believed in them. You gave them that second chance and they'll do anything for you. If you treat them right, mm-hmm. give them an honest day's pay. Wonderful. So we're going to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. Uh, Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health crisis and security solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting r3c.com today. So now... I'd like to talk a little bit about maximum impact love. That's your mission that you've set up, which I think you touched on that a little bit when you talked about that event you held in your community. So in addition to your second chance program, you also established mission impact love or maximum impact love, sorry. Um, And that's a mission-based nonprofit that's helped to enrich the lives of, and this is the number that I I believe I wrote down from our previous conversation was 50,000 people over the past six years. So can you walk us through the work that this nonprofit does with the community? And I, I believe from what you've talked about, that's also a source for where you get some of these second chance um, you know, program candidates as well. But can you share a little bit about what you've done? And I know this is more concentrated in the Atlanta area, but can you talk a little bit about it? Okay. So, so first of all, uh, I was arrested at a red light on Fulton Industrial Boulevard in Atlanta, Georgia, with a prostitute through my windshield by the Holy Spirit. 
So as I sat at a red light and I watched a little girl go across the street in front of me, uh, she was caught up in prostitution. And my daughters at the time, this is 15 years ago, not not six, but 15 years we've been doing this called Maximum Impact Love. As I watched her go across the street in front of me, uh, I was really impressed upon my heart, except for the grace of God, there goes your daughters. I've got two daughters, and at the time they were 12 and 14 years old, and this girl could have been, they could have been bookends for this little girl that was walking across the street in prostitution, and it really broke my heart, and I began to cry. And at the same time, I felt the Lord speaking to me saying, what are you going to do about it? And, you know, I don't know what you do, but every day I get up and pray and say, Lord, here I am, send me, let me be a man after your own heart. And here I am. What am I going to do about it? I don't know what I can possibly do about that. So the light turned green and I quickly took off from that spot. And I got about a thousand yards away and I felt the uh, Lord, the Holy Spirit, the spiritual voice say to me, what are you going to do about it? And I knew I couldn't outrun it. So I pulled off in the first parking lot, not looking where I was, but I was at Starship Enterprises, which is an adult toy and video store. There was a liquor store. There was two strip clubs. And I just had my head on my steering wheel and was crying and saying, what can I do about that? Because I was shook up. He said, there goes your daughters. Except for the grace of God, there goes your daughters. So, I mean, it just it, it really impacted me. That's why I call it maximum impact. I had a maximum impact from the Lord. And I'm we make a maximum impact. So. I said, I don't know what I can do. What do you want me to do? And I felt like he said, go find the girl. Well, I went back and looked for the next two hours and I never did find her. But what I saw turned out to be the number one hotel for drugs and prostitution in the United States. And it's a mile and a quarter from my corporate office. It's right at Six Flags, uh, I-20, uh, you know, 10 miles outside of Atlanta. And I just saw prostitutes come out, get in company vehicles and go on. I saw drug runners come over to the cars beside me and get and sell, take the money, go get drugs, bring them back. And, and as soon as the kids, I say kids, they were teenagers would pull out another mom and dad sedan or, or a minivan would pull in and they would get the same thing. So out of all of that, I'm convinced today that that girl didn't exist, that she was just an angel to get my attention to do something about the neighborhood. And as I sat there, I felt impressed that I want you to do a day of outreach and prayer. And I knew what prayer was, but I had no idea what outreach was. So I went back and I said, we were a, uh, we're a covenant company. We tithe out of the profits of the company. I called them at the time we had 25 or so ministries that we supported of all kinds. Uh, one of them was prison fellowship. You know, one of them is, uh, is Haggai Institute. There's just a lot of them that we did. And I called them all together and said, Hey, this is what happened. What do I do? How, what is outreach? And they started sharing with me. You need to go in and do a day of, of, uh, of, of feeding them, clothing them. And, and I'm talking about the homeless population there was pretty serious. There was, 40 or 50 a day, just standing around, sleeping in wherever, you know, you, you see it all over the country. So anyway, 
I want you to play live music. I want you to feed them a hot meal. I want you to give them clean, fresh clothes and socks and underwear. I want you to give them haircuts. I want you to take a before and after picture of what they look like before and have shower trucks there and stuff. And, and we did. And, and they looked like all new people took a picture before and after and gave it to them. And they were just amazed. A lot of them never had a picture of themselves in their life. But what happened was all of these people, I said, look, if you'll go into a rehab, you can't quit drinking. You've been out here on these streets for 15 years. Some of them you've been out prostituting your body for 10 years after I met them and got to know them and they knew they could trust me. They shared everything with me. I said, how about you go in a rehab? It doesn't cost you anything, but you have to stay for a year. If you'll stay for one year, I'm confident that you'll be changed uh, from your vices. And number two, that you'll be ready to come to work. And and I'll give you a job, I promise you. I have to go on third shift. And we were uh, 24-6, so six days a week, 24 hours a day. We're off on Sundays to let them go to church or do whatever they want to with that day of rest. But the point is, is they went and they started coming out. And then people, then they would go with me back down to the streets and say, look, you remember him? Look how good he's doing. If you'd have gone at the same time, you'd be working. You'd be as good as him now. Okay, I want to go now. I want to go now. I mean, there's a whole lot of, I can talk all I want to, but, you know, the example was somebody they knew that was that I lifted up and said, hey, look at this. From the stage while we played uh, live music, they'd give a testimony. I was out here with you. I was caught up in prostitution. I've got a job. I've got benefits. I've been reunited with my family, blah, 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 you know, and it's, it's all good. And these people, he's real. What he says he'll do, he'll back it up. And he's, he's, he's honored everything that he said he would do if you'll just do what he wants you to do. So there you go. That's how we started it. And, it turned into we needed more people and uh, we thought, well, you know what, why don't we go see somebody that is, uh, you know, uh, one of these uh, halfway houses and talk to them. And I did. And I said, we, we want anybody. I want to I want a mechanically inclined person because that's what we were looking for. You can't find enough people today that can that are really good with their hands and their minds. So uh, if they haven't committed capital murder, armed robbery, you know, rape, kidnapping, then I'll take them. And we have, and we've got 189 of those. And every one of them has the same opportunity to move up. You know, we make plastic bottles. So somebody has to pack them at the end of the line. Somebody has to unitize them, palletize them. Somebody has to drive a forklift. Somebody has to put them in the warehouse. Somebody has to take them out of stock and load a truck and, there's just a lot of opportunities. Somebody has to make the machines work. So it, it works out. There's, you know, and especially today's environment with the, the government wanting to pay these stimulus checks, they're making more money to stay home. Where are you getting your people from? You know, we haven't had to shut down. We're an essential business. And we have grown from in the last two years from 400 million in sales to over 600 million in sales because we haven't stopped. And all these companies that did stop, we got a lot of their business. And so anyway, hope that answered your question. Yeah, no, it just, it's, you know, I asked, uh, I was sharing that with the listeners. I had you share that with the listeners because it's just amazing. The, 
you know, the community outreach that's tied to that and that giving back to not just, you know, giving a second chance opportunity for somebody to work, (laughs) but also giving, yeah, (laughs) it's kind of today's, today's work environment. Um, but you're also giving back to their families. You're giving back to the community. And it's also continuing to share that you've got this opportunity for those who are willing to put in the effort um, to participate. So um, now I know that this, um, you shared with me that this nonprofit has received some some pretty incredible awards. I know Fulton County declared it April 15th, Maximum Impact Love Day. And you also shared that you're being honored with the humanitarian award. And I believe you said it was on September 11th. So how, how does that feel? And, you know, what was some of the premise behind this honor? Well, so, so out of the necessity I was doing, or we were doing, I say, I, I, there's so many people that actually volunteer. A lot of people don't know what they can do. So Mm -hmm. if your company is looking for a good cause, you know, go find something, go out in your community and see where the need is and then go volunteer. Maybe it's to cut some people's grass, clean up the trash, you know, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, uh, out, out of that, that need, you'll, you, I mean, there's just so many people that want to want to pitch in and do something, but um, I, I lost my train of thought there for a second. So I apologize, but Re ask the question again for me. Sure. So, just how it does it make you feel receiving, you know, receiving these honors and and some of the premise behind them honoring you with it. That that's where I was going with this. You know, I'm I'm no I'm nobody. I'm just a a, a humble guy, honestly. That has a lot of good people. Sometimes I feel like uh, the the Pied Piper. Because I turn around and people are following me because I lead from the front. I go out into the community and do it. I've, I've had policemen say, you crazy. You can't do that. I, I don't come out here unless I have my armor on. And he's talking about his bulletproof vest. But uh, I, I have the full armor of God on me, so I don't worry about that. But the main thing is, is you just find a good cause and, and uh, people will take notice. So we happen to have a... Uh, a, a, a black gentleman that was that fell asleep at a Wendy's drive-in in Atlanta, downtown Atlanta, and he was had been drinking. And you you probably know the story. He, he, they called the police. They got him out of his car. He overpowered the police. Took one of them's taser, shot it at him, and they they killed him. And so the the. Uh, the consensus was is back when people were burning everything down, they burned down the Wendy's and it was terrible. And I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't sleep. What, what can I do to help? And I came up with this idea and I know it was divine, but, but because of what we do, I've started to say earlier, we were doing three events a year. We found out that, Hey, that's great for those three days, but what about the rest of the year? So we started Maximum Impact Love and opened up a, a, a warehouse where people can come and get groceries every day, Monday through Friday. And then uh, we have people come in and volunteer. And we pack the boxes. We go to the food bank and we buy the stuff uh, and out of the profits of the company. We tithe and one of the recipients is me and Maximum Impact. So we've got a 13,000 square foot office. 
We were allowing people to come and get groceries every day of the week. And then COVID hit. And then, so what are you going to do? How are we going to continue to do this? People still need the food, but they got COVID now. You don't want to get your people infected. So how do you do it? We put a sign out front said, don't get out of your car. Call. We'll bring the boxes out. You pop your trunk. We'll put it in there. We'll pray for you through the window if that's what you need. And then you can be on your way. And the the, the same thing happened with the, uh, with the uh, Wendy's deal. The guy got killed there. What am I going to do? And I felt like the Lord told me to put the Atlanta police and fire department out there up front. You set everything up. So we did 10 uh, different uh, events where we gave away 400 boxes of groceries each. So over 4,000 boxes of groceries and at 10 different events around Atlanta, 10 different locations and, and people, and we put signs out free groceries today. And we did all the work, set it up and the policemen in their uniforms and the firemen in their uniforms, put them in the trunks, talked to them, got all the credit. I don't care about that. We just wanted to mend the community. And so it worked. And, and that's where we got the proclamation and they call it William Andrew Sewell Day, which is my full name. But the point is, it's maximum impact love. It's not me. It's the people behind the scenes that really make it happen. And uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's been worthwhile. That's and that's what's going to happen with this uh, on 9-11. They're going to give me the humanitarian award. And uh, it's, it's not me. It's so many people. Yesterday, we had a, a, a fundraising golf tournament. We had 220 golfers. We had 27 holes, had two foursomes on each hole, and they can't wait to give the money and because they know what we do and it's real and it works. And those are the kind of things you can do in your community, whether you're a, a for-profit or, or a, uh, you know, a public company or a privately held company. Wonderful. So, so now I, I, if there were three things that if you, that you wanted leaders to be aware of about the rewards that an organization and employer can get by giving back to the community and giving these second chance, you know, you know, opportunities for, for people, what would be three things that you would want to leave these leaders with? Well, everybody wants to be somebody and they want somebody to believe in them. And these second chancers really need somebody to believe in them. I mean, imagine yourself in a six by six cell and you've got somebody in there every day with you that's either negative or they're, they, they have a, a distorted view of reality and you've just been fed negatives all day long. When you do get out, you get around more people like that. They need somebody that believes in them. They can say, look, I, I know you've made a mistake, but here I'll give you a chance. That's, that's one. Two is be real. You know, you don't have to have the pedigree. You don't have to have the, the MBA, the uh, doctorate or all of that's great. But what are you really doing to make a difference in the world period in other people's lives and just treat them like people, except for the grace of God, there go you. So, so those are three things. 
Love that. So looking out over your career, if you were able to identify one thing that you're most proud of, what would that be? Uh, mm, wow. I would, I, I would just say that, uh, you know, that, that I carry God wherever I go. I mean, I go out on the production floor and treat the people like real people, say hello to them, call them by name. Uh, I made a, uh, this still goes on. I, I took a picture of every person that was, that worked in any one of my plants. And at one time I had four plants and over 400 people. And I knew every one of them's name. How in the world could I ever know their names? Would take a picture of them, a thumbnail picture, put it onto a board in my, in the front office. And before I went out on the floor on any one shift, I would pick two or three people and I'd memorize their name and I'd go out there and purposely look for them and just tell them, Hey, Jamie, it sure is good to see you today. Is there anything that I can pray for you about? And you know what? They just beam. Hey, knows my name. And yes, or maybe not, but if they say, you know, maybe you don't feel like you can do this, but I got tired of people saying, will you pray for me? And as soon as I, and I say, yeah, as soon as I walk away, I forgot about it. But I I started, I felt convicted. So I started praying with them on the spot. It's kind of uncomfortable at first because you close your eyes and people are looking at you. They may not even be looking at you, but you feel like it is. And, And if you pray for them, it really makes a difference. And then somebody will go up and say, hey, I saw him praying. Did y'all praying? What was that all about? And then next time you go through, they'll ask you to. And it's it's just a snowball effect. And it teaches people that you really care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And it really lets them understand how much you really believe in them. Ah, that's amazing. Um, so for our, our listeners, if they wanted to get a hold of you and, you know, be able to kind of seek additional information about how you, you've been able to create your second, you know, your successful second chance program or have questions about the mission, uh, maximum impact love, how would they get a hold of you? Well, I would say go on our website. It's a www.cKspackaging.com. And then just click on there and you'll see a, a, a little at the bottom of one of the pages. It'll say social responsibility. Click on that. It'll have my story. It'll have my email address. It'll have my personal cell phone. So I don't. You can call me on my cell phone. I'll be glad to call you back. That's how Ray called me and we ended up doing this to begin with. But anyway, just be accessible. Mm-hmm. If you're real, <laughs> I mean, it's hard. Cause you're going to get some calls from some people, but anyway, it's, it's worth every minute of it. Wonderful. Well, I, 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 I found your story inspiring and the work that you're doing amazing. And I hope our listeners do too. So thank you so much, Drew, for letting us celebrate you and all of your great accomplishments and for sharing your stories, the great advice for our listeners. Uh, we appreciate you and I'm sure your organization and staff do as well. Uh, We also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you have not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and 
and Twitter at Workplace MVP. If you are a Workplace MVP or know someone who is, we want to know about them. Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.